Welcome to Be Simply. This is Suzanne Toro, and I want to thank you for being here today. We have special guests, Carrie Kelly. She's the author of American Detox, the myth of wellness and how we can truly heal. Without further ado, let's dive in with Carrie. So I want to thank you, Carrie, for being here today. I'm really excited to talk to you about your most recent great work. You do so many amazing things. Uh, today we're going to dive into a couple of your initiatives and your new book, uh, The Myth of Wellness and How We Can Truly Heal American Detox. Uh, one, I want to congratulate you. Bravo. And welcome. Thank to you. Today. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Suzanne. I'm uh, really happy to be here with you. Having had the experience of writing a book and your book, uh, you know, had a little bit of a pause, like most of humanity over the past two years. I'm really curious because it uh, was such a, like, so information rich, like no one can go wrong without reading your book and all the things that you have put in there to help people, like, validate and back check what you're talking about uh, in your perspectives. Mm But one thing I'm really curious is, in the from the inception to this moment what would you add in that's not included or what would you mm. want to additionally point people to within the book that might not stand out to them no one has asked me that question in fact um mm. so thank you gosh i mean there's like a laundry list of regret <laughs> regrets the wrong word but like ah like you know, a book is really hard because it becomes enshrined and it it can never encompass all of the things. And so I had to be really discerning, right, about what went in there and the purpose of the book and what my right role and responsibility was in writing it and, and, and what it meant to serve, right? Like I really felt a responsibility to exposing the well-being gap, right? And um, that, that, you know, predetermines who gets to be well and who doesn't in this world. Um, and so, you know, a lot of what's emerging actually in real time, I, I speak to in the book, given what's happening with Roe v. Wade, I, I do wish I went really, I, w- I wish I went a lot deeper on bodily autonomy <laughs> to prepare people um, more, f- more fully for what's coming and for what's, um, what's inevitable, given what we believe is going to be coming down from SCOTUS over the next couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, uh, so much, there's so much in the, in the book, quite frankly, because it really is my, my sort of grappling and journey with unpacking all of the ways in which I've been shaped and indoctrinated by dominant culture. And so I speak to the legacy of, of colonization and the colonizer virus that I've internalized um, I speak to privilege, right? I speak to um, class, and of course, I speak to whiteness, uh, being a white-bodied person in America, and and the ways in which I've been shaped, um, trained, if you will, um, rewarded, right, for being complicit and for complying with white supremacy, and mm-hmm. and just given what we're seeing, what just happened in Buffalo, right? None of this is all, none of this is new, and yet it is a culmination, right, of of. Um, a wound that has been festering for many hundreds of years. Um, and so, you know, I think I would, I would kind of point people to the chapter Wellness Beyond Whiteness, especially white-bodied people for whom I think this book is really for, since I'm a white-bodied person. 
um, and really invite folks to reckon with what it means to be white and what we're up against, right? Because I think, um, and Resma Minicum is just, you know, is writing about this in, in his most recent book, The Quaking of America, but I think it's becoming increasingly apparent that white supremacy is not just a threat to black indigenous people of color. Um, it is a threat to all of us. It is a threat to our collective survival. And so I think it's imperative, if not essential for white folks to, to do the like, do the personal reckoning, but, but then, you know, simultaneously do, um, you know, the radical engagement in the, the deconstructing and the dismantling of the institutions, the systems and the, and the culture that has been informed by white supremacy so that hopefully we can slow down the, you know, this acceleration and, and the white violence that has stemmed from this history um, and explore something different. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, buzzing off everything you just said. <laughs> um, yeah, so as I was reading, because I was like, uh, we're kindred spirits in uh, many ways, uh, and uh, I was like, I felt your raw, like raw, raw, like, you know, just sharing like your passion, your soul. And, you know, that comes across in just your eloquent response just now. My question for you, because you touched on, if we go into what has been, I, I tend to stay away from these terms because I'm more of a person that is working to educate people to move beyond duality. But you mentioned your yoga path and I totally like agree with you in the, the, the impact that capitalism has had on a wellness industry, especially when it's only for those that can afford it. Um, if we look at how do we make well-being affordable to all. What kept coming in my mind when I was reading your book is I wanted to know, like, where does karma come into play for you? I've thought about this a lot, you know, as these conversations have presented themselves in society and based on my own personal travels all over the world and work with the indigenous tribes, there's this aspect of cause and effect that we can't evade. And it appears right now we're given the chance um, to use the words of white privilege to make things right uh, with all our relations. And that's a choice that each one of us can make. For you, how do you relate to that, like the cause and effect? Because kind of like the wheel, like today you or I might be um, this ethnicity, but tomorrow in the future, again, in the reincarnation model, not to offend anyone of any of their theological belief systems, but we might be something else. Um, irregardless if someone buys into that, there's these generations that yeah. we're feeding into or paving the way, right? The shoe can always be on the other foot. So for you, sorry, that's a long lead in, but how does that either the word cause and effect or AKA karma that's taught in the East play into your role in making things right? Mm, gosh, that's a deep question. You know, I, I feel like I can't really speak to um, the ways in which karma plays out across lifetimes. Um, I feel like I'm having a hard enough time reckoning with my time in this particular lifetime and what I owe to my right. ancestors and what I owe to future generations. And so the thing that's coming up for me right now um, is this idea of debt. And there's this great article by Ulibis, um that was in the New York Times many years ago called White Debt. And one of the things that she says is that the German word for guilt 
which I feel like trips so many people of privilege up, right? Like people get stuck in guilt and shame. They get silenced by it. They, um, there's inaction. Um, that it's, you know, that, that it's actually about debt. It's actually about what we owe. And, and that's sort of the way I think about privilege because, you know, I think in a lot of ways we've talked so much about privilege, right, privilege being sort of like unearned advantages, right, that come with the many identities um, and social group memberships that we might embody. And privilege also being in, in deep relationship, in counter relationship with oppression, right? Privilege doesn't exist without the oppression of other people. Um, and so the thing that's coming up for me is just this idea of like, what do we owe given our points of privilege, right? And the, the tool of social location has been really helpful for me in grappling with my identities, my many different identities, right? Because I'm not just white and I'm not just middle class and I'm not just cisgender, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm all of those things at the same time and more. And so what does that mean about my, about my proximity, right, to, to power and to privilege and all the things that come with that, things like access and time and agency and choice and education, um, and of course, wellness, right, which this book is about. Um, and, and what does that mean about my um, responsibility, right, to correct um, the, 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 the disproportionate and unequal distribution um, of resources, um, of agency, of access um, to, to different groups and to different peoples. And so, so that's sort of the way that I've been working with privilege. I, I know a lot of people talk about, like, uh, how do I use my privilege? I don't think of it that way because I don't actually think of privilege really as a good thing necessarily. It has mm -hmm. advantages, right, and it comes with proximity, but it also has costs, um, and it can be soul-sucking yeah. when we think about the history, right, that's come along with, uh, the privilege of, of let's say, uh, the racial privilege of whiteness, let's say. And so anyway, so a lot of my reckoning, and I talk a lot about that th uh, this in the book, is really around um, what do I owe? And also what is my right role and responsibility, right, given my social location, given where I'm situated in proximity to power and privilege, in proximity to the conditions that one needs to be well and to thrive, what is, what is my assignment, right, to make those yeah. things more equal, to create the conditions where people have what they need to thrive? And so that's sort of my, my stance, if you will, my practice. Mm. Um, and yeah. I think it's, you know, I think it's a, a different way of answering your question, but it's the way I feel like I, I navigate that idea of karma. Um, um, and, and I feel like it's very real time, like the, the evidence of the gross inequality, right, that we're all a part of is undeniable. I mean, everywhere you look, right, it's everywhere. And so anyway, so I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, if we're open to seeing and, you know, and, and being radically aware, right, and confronting all that is in this particular moment and all that we come from, then we can't not see our place in it and participate, engage, and act, right, from a really skillful place and from a place of, like, of conspiring, quite frankly, um, to, to, you know, to, to create a world where everyone can thrive. But the understanding, by the way, that, like, my well-being, you know, my privilege, right, like, all, all the, you know, all the things that you were naming, right, 
um, isn't separate. It's not isolated from that of other people. And, and that's really the like ideal, like the, 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 the theory behind what I propose in this book is that, you know, no matter how much yoga you do or what kind of electric car you drive or how much juice, you know, green juice you drink or supplements yeah. you take, you actually really can't be well, right? When so many people are Absolutely. suffering. Absolutely. Um, um, and, and I think the myth, right, the myth that I, the myth, the many myths that I expose and one of them is individualism sells this, you know, sells us this idea that we can, right? The, the industry of wellness sells us this idea that we can actually thrive and be our best selves and live our best lives. I'm saying all those things very facetiously, right? If we yeah. just buy this and, and buy into that. And actually, I feel like the world is saying, yeah, no, you can't. <laughs> and we just yeah. need to wake up to that. And so what's the bridge for you? Well, two questions. What's the bridge in the most immediate response yeah. before we end it? And one other question uh, for people, because in tri tribal situations, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with some of the last traditional elders on this planet. And it's kind of mind-blowing mm. when I see how out of balance the human species forget race, human species is with the ecosystem of this planet. And it's not so much about waste and pollution. It's just the relationship with the planet. We are so far off center. Because what they can do is pretty amazing with very small amount of resources. Um, I would say they have all the wealth in the world and yeah. that knowledge. Um, so what's the bridge? Because in those tribes, if one person, this is how finite it is, if if you and I are in the same tribe and you have a nightmare, everything stops because your mind is not in balance. So it's our tribe's responsibility to settle your soul, your mind, your being, so that we can move on. Um, and some people might call that suspicious, you know, if you look at the, when you use the word colonization, like, oh, that's suspicious, but it's a, an awareness that, oh, you know, Carrie's mind's a little disturbed today. How can we bring... Uh, harmony back in because then when we go in the woods there's harmony there's no there's no Prozac or anxiety or stress because the animals mm -hmm. would go wild if that was there right mm -hmm. so for you in this moment if we go we're back in the urban jungle what is our bridge back to well-being for all in this most like for those that are listening like what's that first step that someone can take to start to acknowledge mm -hmm. that it's not just about them and how they can make an effort mm -hmm. for self and their communities. Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, and I appreciate, like, you asking about the bridge and not the destination, right, because this is such a long road we're going to be on um, yeah. of, you know, repair and, and regeneration. Um, I, there's two things that I sort of offer up and explore myself in this book. And, and one is like, what is the personal work that we need to do? And what is the collective work that we need to do? And another way to think about that is like, what is the inner work and what is the external work or what is the personal work and what is the political work? And the reason I framed it up that way is because I think often in dominant culture, we see a lot of people engaging in either or, right? A lot of wellness people navel gazing and, and really just like, um, doing the sort of individual transformational work that we that we know isn't enough, right, to translate into the collective transformation we so desperately need. And then in a lot of, you know, I'm in a lot of, you know, activist movement spaces that, that actually don't 
include enough of the personal reckoning um, and the personal transformational work. So anyway, so I just wanted to name that as a framework that for me in my own exploration has been about bridging both of those things, right, and understanding that both are really essential, right, if we want a whole change, right? Um, and the other thing that's coming up for me based on what you were saying, um, for me as a part of the personal work, right, as a part of the the personal inquiry, the personal reckoning, reckoning the personal grappling that I did, both in the writing of this book, but for a really long time, right, since 9-11, and, and I continue to do this work, um, includes some of the um, the questions, you know, you, you seeded um, when, you, when you began this around what have we forgotten and, and what is the medicine that is already here? Um, and, and much of that, right, which is indigenous. And I, I think the thing that I want to share about that is I think people know that there's great wisdom in indigenous knowledge. And I also think that because of colonization, and this is obviously steeped in, in Western wellness culture, you know, there's been a lot of stealing of other people's cultures oh. um, and taking, right? Um, and, and so for me, in my own personal practice, um, and, and I, this invitation has been given to me from other, you know, community leaders, um, it's been to go back and get myself. You know, my friend Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams always you know, says that, you know, you have to go back and get yourself, especially if you're white-bodied and your ancestors gave up, right, abandoned so much of their culture to assimilate into the, you know, American project. And so, and that was the case for me. And, and so I share that because so much of what I've uncovered actually points to exactly what you're saying, which is, you know, the medicine of my Celtic ancestors, right, um, 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 you know, the medicine of my Italian ancestors um, contains so much of the wisdom that we need to, like, remember that we're deeply interdependent, right, that we're a part, we're not just, like, on the earth, we are a part of the earth, right, um, yeah. and that we're not just a part of the problem, we're a part of the solution, right. Um, the other thing that it teaches me is that it, we're not just in this lifetime, right, we're connected to to, to our ancestors, to the, to the people that we come from, and we're connected to the future, to the generations that are to come. And so I just share that because I have been in my own exploration of what is the medicine that I come from that is a part of my ancestral lineage. And what does that, and, and what does that have to teach me, right, that's relevant to this moment? What do I need to remember and reclaim that can help us navigate this particular moment? Um, that has been um, ruptured, right, so deeply by the forgetting of, of a lot of those truths, right, the truth of interdependence, right, the truth of mutuality, um, even the truth of oneness, right, that gets, that gets misunderstood and weaponized by white Western wellness culture, right, is, is yeah. a part of that, um, is a part of that, you know, um, ancestral culture. Um, so anyway, so I just share that because um, that has been a part of my own journey of exploration. And I believe that going back and getting ourselves, going back and reclaiming, remembering our medicine, not someone else's medicine, <laughs> you know, don't, you know, I feel like sometimes we reach, 
right? We reach for someone else's medicine because we've been divorced from our own. That is, that feels like it's a part of the bridging that we need right now. Um, so that we're not reaching outside of ourselves for the answers um, and for the solutions, um, but that, that we're, um, you know, we're returning, quite frankly, to what, what we have already known, and, and then we're innovating from there. We're moving forward from that place. Um, and from a place of, like, we're not alone in this, right? We actually have mm-hmm. to find new ways of being together, um, even as we're situated in these really toxic cultures, these really unequal systems, it's like how do we move forward together and do the least amount of harm? Yeah. Oh. And for you, what medicine have you discovered? Have you found it from your ancestry? Oh, my God. I mean, how do you find? I don't even know, like, what um, – I feel like, you know, there's been – Right, like it's like I'm not sure what I'm seeking yet, um, and what the destination is. So I'm not sure. Um, okay. And what I'll I'll share what I'll share though is that I'm like what you're making me think about is like how do I know I'm I'm onto something on this path, you know? And yeah, what I'll share is that as I've pieced together to the best of my ability, right? Um, you know, and even being able to piece together one's lineage, I feel like is a privilege to some extent because, you know, many people have been cut off from that. Um, but what I've been able to piece together has given me a sense of, like, wholeness that I never, I just didn't feel, you know, growing up and growing up sort of in, like, like in modern times without sort of a, um, without right. that, like, the resource of the culture and the medicine that I came from outside of being American. Right. And so, um, so that has like given me a sense of like wholeness that I've never known before. And, and I didn't know to look there. Right. Um, which I find really helpful, especially as we have to like stand in this really uncomfortable moment and navigate, right. Um, the many different ways in which, we're disproportionately impacted and we're also implicated. Um, so that's been really helpful. I feel like it, it's made me feel like I have more ground to stand on. Like, like my foundation yeah. is firmer because I know well, my roots are like solid. Yeah. You know where you come from. Um, exactly. So what calls to you from those cultures, you know, like um, Celtic and your Italian they, culture? Yeah, yeah. Well, my Italian food calls to me from my Italian okay. culture yeah. always, um, right? And the and the <laughs> yeah, exactly. Food calls to me from my Italian culture, but also the ritual around breaking bread and and eating in family, mm, and oh. you know that's been yeah. and that's that's actually been a part of my life my whole life, but I never appreciated it in the way that I do now. Um, yeah. But from my Celtic ancestry, you know. Um, 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 you know, an invitation to come back to the sacredness of land and the sacredness of water has, has been resonating with me. And, you know, you were talking about the urban jungle. You know, I grew up in New York and concrete has been my, my life, you know, I, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm many, many generations of New York. You know, my, my, I have a family of firemen and nurses and, and I tell that story in my book and, so I'm like New York to the core, right? And I'm talking yeah. about the New York, obviously, that came that came after, um, you know, the Lenape were already there um, um, stewarding that land. 
Um, and in, in my, you know, I would say in the last, you know, five to ten years, I've been really called to nature. So I now live in California. I live in a canyon. I'm surrounded by trees. I mean, I, like, sort of, like, swung the pendulum all the way in the other <laughs> yeah. direction. Right? And my family is like, what happened to you, you know? Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't know, you know if I could, like, articulate it, but I just felt called back. Um, and, you know, and now I do a lot of my work, you know, when I'm not in the field, um, you know, organizing and advocating, you know, I'm in nature. I'm in nature every day. I wake up in nature. I wake up to trees. I, you know, uh, you know, so anyway, so I would say like that has been the most profound like medicine for me and also like the most radical way in which I've shifted the conditions of my life. Like I'm really clear like that that's. Um, I need to drink from that well as often as I can if I want to if I want to stay in the conversation if I want to keep going and if I you know you know I want to I want to be doing this for the rest of my life I'm here for the fight right I'm here for the future and so therefore you know um, you know I I'm in a you know I'm in a contemplation of like what it what do I what are the ways in which I need to take care of myself so that I can keep going yeah, so you brought up something really beautiful about, like, you've discovered these elements that are from your ancestral roots that are actually the medicine to retain harmony in your daily life so you can go out into the world and be more effective. Uh, you say that's true? That you've discovered these that things that keep you in harmony? That you've discovered these things from oh. your ancestral roots, being like food and breaking bread and the sacredness of land and water, and that when you engage with those, that gives you your kind of your mojo, for lack of better yeah. words, to go out and be an activist in the world. <laughs> I would say that's part of it for sure. You know, and one of the things you know, I had to get really clear about when I was writing this book is like, what do I mean when I say wellness? You know, what when I when I was called to like the you know wellness practices, even before I was kind of doing this particular work of of disrupting wellness and democratizing wellness. I really feel like I was being called to wholeness. Like I wanted to feel whole, right? I wanted to feel mm-hmm. true. Um, and it wasn't just about feeling good. It was about like just feeling centered. You know what I mean? And and I yeah. say that because um, what you're naming about harmony, I feel like is related to wholeness, right? Because it speaks to yeah. resonance. It speaks to our interrelatedness with ourselves, with all parts of ourselves, and also with everyone and everything around us. So for absolutely, you know, um, you know, the kind of the, the reaching back <laughs> to get myself and to learn more about the history and the people, the land, the culture that I come from has really helped me feel more whole and more connected, right, um, in, in, you know, in all of the ways, right, forward and back, up and down, you know. Um, and the other thing I'll just add is, I have also discovered so much um, harmony and realignment, right, course correction, if you will, um, transformation, um, just in the activism, right, like in the showing up in relationship, in the um, feeling purpose as a part of something bigger than myself, in the finding my place in the movement, right, my particular role and responsibility, 
um, as, a, as a part of this sort of collective moving towards something better has also, I feel like, even more than like the yoga and all the things that, that hooked me at first has really given me a sense of harmony, has really given me a sense of peace um, a sense of hope in times of deep despair. Um, so I wanted to share that too, because, you know, that's been some of the most radical discoveries for me in my own wellness practice is that so much of the practice for me showed up off the mat. It wasn't in yeah. the meditation or in the yoga, right? Um, or even in the mantras, it was in the streets. It was side by side in solidarity with fast food workers. It was, you know, working across lines of difference, right, to like confront the beast that is white supremacy. And so anyway, so that too has been, that has given me so much meaning and purpose and has really helped me orient myself in this moment and feel a part of something and feel also, you know, I know it feels, it can feel really hard right now right? Like things are yeah. stacking up <laughs> against our collective survival and yet participating, engaging, being a part of, right, the movement of transformative change, the movement toward the future that we all deserve, I feel like has given me a greater sense of wholeness than, than much of the wellness, the Western wellness antidotes that I was hooked by originally. And so that's sort of why I'm like, yeah, yes to these practices. I'm, I still meditate every morning. I still move on my mat every morning. That's sort of how I prepare myself for being in right. the world. They're but the cool. real practice for me is out there, right? It's like hardcore. Yeah. It's like conflict and confrontation. And it's, you know, song and dance and beauty and innovation and emergence. Absolutely. Aho. Well, I think a lot of the misunderstood aspect of the yoga is that um, we yoga is designed to bring the mind to a place of service and in harmony with self um, and so many things, not to get in a yoga discussion, but I feel like you've just let yoga finally awaken in you because ultimately we are here to benefit all. And that's a, a common sentiment from people in the East to be of service to their community. It's not separate from or not expected to be uh, handed to them from some agency, but to everyone is actively participating. Like in the pandemic, a Sikh community was preparing thousands of meals every single day, coming out and serving their community with food. Um, you know, so active service, yes, more of it, please. <laughs> um, yeah, right? For you, for you when you're out and serving, um, and I think this is a place, especially now people are craving connectivity and action, you know, somewhere, if it can be with a purpose, it's even better, um, in my opinion. You have um, established a organization called Citizen Well, kind of in a response or in hand in hand with your book. And one thing I had noticed mm -hmm. there was about, um, you know, having difficult conversations because right now there's been so much division. It's like, you know, it's like it is a battlefield. And so in like media world to physical world, because everyone's just like holding their line, what they believe to know to be true. And mm -hmm. um, how would you encourage people to reach across the table, across the street, across 
a dilemma and listen to each mm-hmm. other? What are some tools that mm-hmm. they can do to not assume? Because if certain people use certain words, they get triggered, and other people use other words, they get triggered. Um, how can we come together yeah. and with an open heart, listen, and then like have you know the whole time like oh she was so fun to debate and not in an arguing way like the art of debate is lost on this planet because people get upset yeah um but how can we have those conversations that aren't so comfortable sometimes but what comes out of it is super powerful um can you share some tools for the yeah i mean so what i'll just share thank you for bringing up citizen well citizen all has actually been around for about seven years and so i I say that because so much of my like so much of um what i needed to learn to write this book happened in that work and i'm really grateful for it and and citizen well is a kind of compilation of many different contributions and voices from movement leaders. And so um, it is most definitely not just mine. Um, But it really put me on this path of both um, asking, like, what's in the way of collective well-being and then how do we show up, right, to confront all of those systemic and political barriers that are holding so many people back from being well. Um, And, yeah, uh, so one of those tools, yeah, and, and I would say practices and, and muscles that we build in the culture of our community is how to have hard conversations and, and how to navigate conflict. Um, and you're, you're exactly right. You know, so much, I would say so much of what ails us in our culture, in our dominant culture right now, is our inability to embrace conflict. Uh, to navigate conflict, I think we we find that we either avoid conflict or we take a hammer to it, and and so right, so that feels like important context setting, yeah. because I think often people think that the antidote to division is sameness, and it's not actually. Like people are having very different lived experiences, and people need different things, and conflict is just a part of the human experience, right? So like. I just I say that because I think it's important that we normalize conflict and what you were saying about yeah. debate, like debate is healthy, right? Um, having hard conversations is necessary. Um, so, so yeah, how we build the muscles around active listening, around, um, uh, you know, uh, taking inventory of what we don't know. Um, so that we're not making assumptions about other people, right? That can be really harmful and dangerous, um, or even exposing, right, um, transparently mm-hmm. the assumptions often that we make when we're working across lines of difference or, we're, and, or when we're navigating conflict can be very healthy um, and helpful. Um, um, and there's a lot of amazing, I just want to say, there's a lot of amazing resources out there right now about how to navigate conflict, how to navigate harm. I'm thinking about um, uh, the book Fumbling Towards Repair by Miriam Kaba and Shira Hassan. I'm thinking about um, We Will Not Cancel Us by Adrian Marie Brown. I mean, there's just like so much good stuff. Um, out in the world, good resources and tools and so many teachers that we can turn to for how to, how to be in this moment, right, how to be in this stance and how to lean more courageously, right, with more capacity into conflict. Um, but the other thing that I'll just say about what you were naming is this is probably the question I get more off, most often, right? Like, how do I reach across the aisle or how do I go get my Trump cousin or, you know, um, 
like I think often we think about the, the person that's furthest from us that we need to engage. And often I think we think we need to convince them that they're wrong or turn them or something, you know, persuade them to, to believe something different. And actually my hypothesis is that we have more work to do with the people that are more proximal to us. You know, when we think about the story of division we hear about in the media right now, about the far right and the far left, you know, there's not a lot of those people. We're all shouting at each other over Twitter, (laughs) but there's not a lot of them, right? We're all, you know, we're all making a mess and we're the, and we're the loudest voices, right? But actually, yeah. I think where the work is, is, is in the messy middle. It's in the, the very, and there's one statistic in my book that was so mind-blowing to me. It's in Chapter 7 when I write about the politics of belonging. And it was a, a research study that came out a couple of years ago that said that the biggest divide isn't between the right and the left. The biggest divide is, in fact, between the people who are engaged politically and the people who aren't. And in this study, 80%, 80% of Americans said that they were um, less interested in politics, that they weren't engaged politically. And that blew my mind, right? So we're all talking about this division, right, within 20% of the population when 80% is checked out. They're, they just don't even want to engage. It's too messy and hot, right? There's too much fire in there. So anyway, so that's often where I like to play when I'm organizing yeah. folks and when I'm working with folks about how to have hard conversations is I'm like, don't worry about your cousin who's on the opposite side of the aisle, right? I mean, definitely disrupt if harm is happening, right? right? Be that person. Right. But like, who are the people closer to you? The people you work with, the people in your yoga studio, the people in your family, the people, you know, on your block who are checked out or who don't have the muscle or the conditioning, right, to talk about white supremacy or to, or don't, you know, don't, aren't interested in voting or, um, or, you know, we just saw this with the pandemic or people who really are turning away from collective care, right, towards like hyper individualistic um, anti-mask actions, things like that. Um, I was like, those are actually the people we need to work on um, is, is the, the, the broader middle, right? Um, and, and the way that I think we work with them is we learn how to listen and how to, and how to have deeper conversations that are, that are rooted in values. Like, what do these people value, right? What do they care about? Um, what's motivating them, what's driving them, and how can we better understand that so that we can build spaces and communities and containers and narratives that actually speak more deeply to, you know, um, their, their, you know, their hopes and their fears, right, their values. It's sort of what, you know, Dr. King speaks to, you know, we need a, a radical revolution of values, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. We need to realign, right, and recalibrate ourselves about what matters towards collective survival, right, towards mutual care, um, you know, towards um, wellness for all people. So anyway, so that's sort of more the focus, you know, I've been interested in is like, who are the people nearest to you and, and, and where are they? <laughs> How can you engage right. them more deeply, right, um, right. in and these really challenging conversations? 
Yeah, and then if we take it out of such a macro thing, because, you know, when we talk about wellness and we look at it as a community space, um, and if we really empower the community to establish well-being, there's not really a need for overarching agencies at all. Because if the community is running well, there's no problem. Everyone's taken care of. Correct? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I think if everyone's well, yeah. you don't have homelessness, you don't have yeah, that part. mental that illness, part. You, you, you know, everyone has a bed to lay their head on, and there's means to get wellness if one is ill in any capacity. If that's taken care of in Absolutely. right? And then that becomes yeah. a model, potentially. I. I think that's right, and I think, you know, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of really, um, you know, high-capacity mutual aid networks, right, emerge outside of the state, right, in the absence of systems, you know, federal and state systems that take care of us, that are in particular taking care of the most vulnerable, right? We need to take care of each other. And so we know we have that capacity, and look, that's, that's been happening, especially in marginalized communities for all of time, right? Folks yes, have been figuring absolutely. out subversively how to survive outside the state. And I think more people, especially more people with proximity to power and privilege, are realizing that, you know, the systems are actually not taking care of them either. And so right. I, think, I think it means that we both have to, like, to your point, play at the local level, play at the community and the relational level, right, um, um, work subversively outside the state, right, to, to make sure people have yeah. what they need to survive and thrive. But I also think it means that for those of us who have proximity, right, to politics or to influencers or to um, decision makers, to political leaders, we also have a responsibility to like get in there and to apply Absolutely. some pressure, right? Because we, al- we also know that people are being harmed by the state. I'm thinking about the medical industrial complex, the prison industrial complex. So, so anyway, so, I, so what I often encourage people is I, I encourage them to engage, right? At, at, yes. at all different levels simultaneously and not assume that it's the answer is in one sector, but rather like be engaged personally, be engaged relationally and socially at the local level, and also like be engaged right at the political level, state and federal, um, right? Because yeah. there's there are consequences, right? To it, like a, you know, we're seeing yeah, this happen right now, yeah, right? This huge, row being overturned around that. Yeah, there's awakening. Yes, I mean, yes. I say that's been the benefit is people have actually become more politically engaged, uh, even though it yeah. can appear that it's very a widespread. But I would say, to your point, there's more people in the silent middle than on either end of the spectrum. Um, but yeah. the, either of the spectrums tends to get really loud. Um, and yeah, so, that's right. <laughs> the middle people get more and more silent. I'm like, okay. Oh, where's the middle? Um, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. So, and then from there, you know, just circle back to this idea of wellness and then like in our ancestral roots, uh, we carry the medicine, you know, uh, within us, within our being, within our birthright of where we came from, no matter where that is. Um, If you can share a little bit about the, your point of view or perspective on the reemergence of, 
preservation of culture and uh, how that looks because there's there is a, a huge debate on a global level from globalism to nationalism not really I don't want to get into it too much politically but just the idea of people and communities that if we start stripping them away from the very medicine that keeps some of these communities like when I go to the Philippines Mm -hmm. those communities Mm -hmm. are amazing they're farming they're they don't have time for like 10 years of therapy on the sofa and they're happy (laughs) they're like taking care of each other do they have a million dollars in the bank or whatever I don't know that the capitalist lifestyle that the world has been fed no but they're happy and they appreciate things in a different way um so can you just share a little bit about that like from your lens I would love to hear just how we if you feel we should preserve culture and how that can impact maybe the the way that we coalesce as a global community Hmm. I love that. I think the thing that's coming up for me um, in response to what you're asking, you know, I think one of the things I try to do in this book is not provide a prescription, right? Like like most self-help books are like, here's the problem and here's the answer, you know? And I was like, I don't have the answers actually. I'm just going to grapple with the problems and my place in the problems and and also, like, what the what practices might be helpful as we navigate this moment. Um, and I say that because I don't, I don't have an answer, actually, to your question. And I actually think that's maybe part of what's needed. Because when I think about the history of colonization and imperialization and, and the exportation, even of democracy, right, of capitalism, yeah. um, of individualism, um, uh, you know, globally from from the U.S. from America, and how 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 much of that has stripped you know other cultures, um, you know, of what matters, of their values, of their medicine, um, or whitewashed it or Americanized it. I, it's just making me think about like I, I don't know how to preserve other people's culture. I actually think we just need to like stop fucking shit up. <laughs> like you know what yeah. I mean? Like stop intervening, stop, right? Like stop yeah. assuming we know what's best for other people. I'm thinking particularly about the long legacy of white saviorism, right? That is right. in fact steeped in Christian missionaries and colonization and imperialism and, and the military industrial complex that continues to this day. You know, that like our, our hands are everywhere, right? The implications yeah. of our intervention is all over the world and it's, and, and, and a lot of it isn't good. And so anyway, so that's sort of how I'm thinking about your question is like, I don't know about yeah. the preservation of other cultures, and I don't know that I should because I'm just another white person who, who doesn't, you know, it's like not my business. I'm more concerned about like how do we help, dis, like how do we disrupt and, and prevent further intervention, right, um, further, you know, um, you know, indoctrination, further, you know, right. meddling in other people's lives, right? And and actually just be in a, in a, in a space of listening. Um, yeah. Because I believe people know what they need better than we do. Absolutely. Um, oh. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, so I'm sort of like, that's sort of how I'm thinking about your question is like, I don't know, I don't have an answer for how do we preserve other people's cultures, except we should mind our own business <laughs> and well, stop messing. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That might be the answer. 
That's right. That might be the answer, right? Is like, and also like reckon, I, I think there's repair in that too. Like reckon with your part, right? I say your, meaning our, I'm thinking of this as like a white bodied American, but like our part in meddling and in intervening and in exporting and bringing our, our capitalist patriarchal white agenda into other parts of the world and the, and the repercussions, the consequences of that. Anyway, so like that, that feels, yeah. that's coming up for me too, well, is like not just stop, but like repair. Yeah, well, reconciliation, making things right, as it would be called in a native way. Um, can you, just to build on that a little bit, share what, you know, um, because I, I think this conversation we're having is very daunting, you know, and we circle, do a full circle back to, like, the idea of karma or cause and effect, which is more of a scientific term people can maybe relate to, Um is that, you know, whatever we were born into, that's, you know, that's our bed to rest in and, and make right if we sort of choose. Um, can you share from, because, you know, a lot of people love America, like if we're talking about white, white culture, you know, that was birthed and born out of colonization of the North American continent. Can you share what you would feel like, you know, if you're at your drafting table and you're going to, point out as the value of that culture and we're about to well we're I would say we're in an active demolition right now what are you going to leave what walls yeah. are you going to leave of that culture hmm. it's a really great question um some of what I write about in the book is um is is the legacy of I mean, because we're a young country, right? And so we have, yeah. we're a young country with a really vicious history, really violent and horrific legacy thus far. Um, we're also, though, a country of revolution. We're a country of resistance, right? We're a country of resilience. Um, you know, some of what I write about in the book that was really inspired by my stepdad, right, who was a fireman in, in um the FDNY and who responded to the towers, right, um, is is sort of what, what he and so many people in the wake of that horrific event chose to do on a whim, right, in like, you know, without even thinking, they they responded, right, they, they, they helped each other out. Um, they did what was needed, right, to save lives and to provide refuge and relief, right, um, and so, um, so I'm thinking also about, um, you know, how we're all sort of first responders, right, on the front lines mm -hmm. of this really messy moment in history, yeah. this very precarious, right, moment in humanity, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so when I think about um, what it is to be, you know, the, po the positive story, um, or the legacy that I want to I want to leave, or I want to be a part of, or or I want to believe could be, you know, like a part of the history of this country, or or a part of the America that is yet to be. You know, I I think about I I, I want to like reference that you know there we do have a deep history of resistance. We do have a deep history of freedom fighters. We do have a deep history of people pushing back. Um, and demanding better for for themselves and for everyone, and so so there's something there's a seed there I feel like 
that I want to like continue to like plant and, and, you know, sow and harvest and nurture and nourish and grow. Like I want to be a part of that history of America that we're still a project, right? We're still an experiment. We are yet to be proven. There's a lot that went wrong with this experiment, right? But that we can, that we still, we are a part also of a history of change makers, of innovation. And we just actually need to like innovate in the right direction. We need to recalibrate with values of interdependence, of of love and compassion, um, um, and of collective care. And and then maybe we can forge um, a different future, right, for ourselves and for one another. So that's like the thing that's coming up for me. That, that is a deep part of our history, in fact. We, we, we don't tell as much about that part of the history. Um, but, you know, something is emerging, right? And it's not coming out of nowhere. It's coming, you know, it's coming from those roots. And so, like, how can we steer this country's future towards becoming that, right? That which revolutionizes itself, that which transforms, that which course corrects, that which repairs, right? That which tell the story of repair um, and um, reconciliation. You know, that's the story that I want to be a part of. Yeah. Oh, beautifully said. Well, there is, I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but there is a prophecy uh, through Hopi Nation, and we're at the end of that. But part of that is the war started here and will end here. Um, And on the other Mm. side of that, is peace and then there's all the opportunities from there and I can't I, I would say the most people that I've interacted my friends brothers and sisters from all over the world um, they really are astounded by <laughs> two things they're astounded by our generosity the care you know there's a, a you mm-hmm. know and I think that comes with that preservation like wanting to preserve freedom no matter if yeah. people understand what that word, the price of that word, or the misrepresentation of that word, but they they understand that they want to be free, and want others to be free. So, um, and then the other part of it is is that because of the generosity, there it hasn't been a lot of uh, balancing of the, the books, so to speak, when you look at the capitalist model. Mm, well said. Based. And so um, that's been I think even shocking for a lot of my brothers and sisters around the world when they're like oh we didn't realize you Americans don't save <laughs> where in other countries because their the resources are different they always save you know they put away they're not trying to hedge about a kind of thing for a rainy day so um mm. yeah so I, I just that was coming up in the moment Thank you and for then sh- the last yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing that was coming up in my local community here in Southern California, we were hit by some of the rioting and looting, which was kind of hard. I've never, I was in the middle of it or experienced anything like that. Um, and your instincts are to jump in. Like, that was my instinct, like, one, to talk sense to yeah. people that were, you know, destroying things for no apparent good reason. Um, and then other people not even doing anything simultaneously. But what was beautiful the next morning is the whole community came out. It looked like Disneyland <laughs> with brooms, buckets. I've never seen so many people. The whole, it didn't matter. Everyone came and just helped. 
And so that was that beautiful, yeah. like, resonance. Like, no matter what, like, everyone's going to come out and help. Yep. They didn't care what your political view was, what your ethnic view was, or, or embodiment yeah. is. It's just, like, we're going to yeah. clean this up because it's not, it doesn't feel right, you know, to have our all, all our local businesses yeah. destroyed. So. I love um, that so much. I, I'm really, I'm so glad you shared that. And I just, one of the things you, you just made me think about, you know, my mentor, Taj James, often says, like, follow the people who know the way. And I'm just mm-hmm. thinking about how we're surrounded by people who know the way, right? Yeah. Um, indigenous people, you know, uh, black indigenous people, of color, like people who have been marginalized and who have been, um, who have been, um, you know, carving a path, right, innovating their way towards well-being for a really long time. And for those of us who feel disoriented or lost, you know, we, like, we can step back and follow, right, um, and listen and learn. So thank you for sharing that because that's what that reminded me of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I want to thank you for your great work. I've consumed all the time that I was allotted <laughs> down to a little bit beyond. Um, I want you to share real quick in closing one uh, what's next for you. Uh, we'll be putting the links below. I really, for the listeners, like the one thing I love about your book is all the resources, all the information that you put in there, your, your language, your passion. In addition, my favorite part is your questions, <laughs> like the reflective mm. questions to sit with because those are so valuable. Oftentimes, we forget to ask ourselves. We may see sound bites, but we forget to ask ourselves some questions. Yeah. So anyone out there that cares about, you know, the well-being of humans on planet Earth, please check out the book and answer the questions, see what comes up. Yes. Uh, but can you share what's, what's next for you and what do you have your hands in real time right now, um, aside from shining a light on your great work? Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing about the book. And I mean, you know, uh, I, this is my first book. And so what I'll share is that birthing a book is like an entirely new thing for me. Yeah. So, so much. I, so I like my answer is going to be, I don't know, in a lot of different ways. So I'm putting this book out into the world, and I, I feel like it's an invitation to be in conversation. So I'm actually not sure what's next, especially around the book. I'm just excited to be in conversation with people like you, quite frankly, um, because that's that's unlocking new questions for me, you know, and new dimensions of the work and, and areas that I haven't gone yet. So so that's one thing is like I'm just really, really looking forward to the many conversations um, that I hope uh, and questions actually that I hope that this book inspires um, and the community, right, that emerges from that and the relationships. Um, and the other thing I'll just say is that I, I, I you know, in, in all caps, I really genuinely don't know given what we're up against politically in the U.S. right now. Um, and, um, and I say that, I say that skillfully, I say not from like a, I don't know, I say that from a place of like, I believe we need to get ready for what's coming. Like we need to, we need to organize, we need to do the conditioning as Resma Menachem calls us to do, um, and the capacity building, right, that our spiritual practice, um, and our relational practice, you know, encourages, um, because I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty ahead and there's a lot of risk. Um, 
And, and so I say that not to scare people, but just to like, you know, for me, it's like I wake up every morning and I'm like, how do I get ready for my day? How do I prepare myself, right? What is the practice of building the capacity to show up fully for whatever this day has in store for me? So I mean that like on an everyday practice level, but I really mean that on a political level, like, you know, you know, we've got Roe is going to be overturned in a couple of weeks. We've got, you know, what, what's going to be a very messy midterm um, and, and lots of other things really happening around the country at the local and state level, voting, you know, uh, voter disenfranchisement, um, threats to trans lives. Um, and so anyway, we've got our hands full, and I just think it's really important for folks to prepare themselves to do the, the, the you know, the practice um, and the capacity building and the community building that's needed for us so that um, when we need to respond in the ways that we are called to, we're going to be ready. And so that's sort of like my stance right now is, is just like be ready <laughs> for what's coming and be skillful and be discerning and, uh, and do, you know, do the best that you can and do the least amount of harm. Mm. Right, well said. <laughs> Capacity is a key word. Evaluating our own and other people's capacities. Let, let, yeah. let happen in that. Um, well, you are an absolute treat to speak with. I hope to have you back in the future uh, to engage in more thoughtful conversations. And until then, thank you for being here, and I wish yeah. you so much well-being, and thank you for shining a light on where we need to look next. Thank you, Suzanne. This has been such a rich conversation. Thank you for, like, the deep, deep questions. Um, and, yeah, I'm down to come back. Let's, let's stay in conversation. Once again, I want to thank Carrie Kelly for being here in this moment and all of you listening in. As inspired, check out her great work below. In addition, supporting her work by purchasing and sharing it and starting a conversation in your local communities worldwide. Until next time, this is Suzanne signing out with a full heart, a soft gaze, a deep bow, and a namaste. Be simply.